You are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your guest host, Andrew Martin-Smith. From March 25th through the 31st of 2019, the University of New Mexico Department of Music and the UNM Robb Musical Trust presented the 48th annual John Donald Robb Composers Symposium. During this festival of new music, the beautiful UNM campus played host to the Society of Composers Incorporated National Conference. As I attended the conference in my capacity of SCI Region 2 co-chair, a responsibility shared with composer Neil Flory, I found myself playing an equally important, hmm, actually perhaps more vital, role of new music groupie. It's in this role that I took the opportunity to sit down with several composers and discuss their work and creative process. On this week's episode of Lexical Tones, we'll hear from composers Anne Nykirk, Jessica Rudman, and Jamie Lee Sampson, all of whom have previously been featured guests on this podcast hosted by Robert McClure. Anne Nykirk is a composer and music educator. She divides her compositional pursuits between acoustic and electroacoustic composition and is generally drawn to creative processes that involve interdisciplinary work and collaboration. Influenced by her own liberal arts education, her works are generally inspired from some other area of study and often focus on telling a story or depicting a non-musical idea. I talked with Anne about her solo piano work, She Persisted, of which we'll hear an excerpt later in the episode. It was a brief, lively interview, since this was the first opportunity Anne had to bring her family along to a conference. She was joined in New Mexico by her husband and one-year-old daughter, as they cheered and supported her creative career and activities. We'll join the middle of our conversation as Anne describes her brief experience working with pianist Fred Strom at the conference. Uh, Fred was kind of much more um, uh, precise with everything with the piece. Uh, so, yeah, it was interesting to just kind of hear the different results of having a different player do it and to have someone who... I had never worked with before, who I had never met playing, obviously, is a little bit different than, you know, Crystal and I, it was kind of a collaborative, you know, I sent, I sent her a couple of drafts as I was working on it, mm -hmm. and so she could kind of rehearse it as it was going, so, uh, yeah, it's just different to have somebody just kind of take it out of nowhere and, and work on it. Yeah, um, and that's always something that's really fascinating, I think, to have you know, the piece lived beyond its original collaborators mm -hmm. and, and to get that kind of different perspective and different take, especially since uh, this particular performance, um, his primary job here uh, in New Mexico is as the piano technician, yeah, right? Yeah, and that was great because there is a number of, like, inside the piano things in the piece, so, you know, he's obviously very comfortable working inside the piano. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was cool to get to know him and to... Um, yeah, just to see that he's very active, not only as a piano technician, but as a new music pianist. So that's cool. Yeah, it's always good to see how, uh, and this is something that I think we've talked about before, the uh, people specializing in just one thing. We sometimes forget that there are other facets of their life. Yes. That, that, and, and it's nice to, to see people showcase those mm -hmm. um, on, a, on a more regular basis, I think. And it seemed like he was really happy to perform the piece and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, was... was uh, uh, very effusive at the end of the, the concert. So mm -hmm. it was yeah, really nice. Yeah, he was nice. very animated while he was performing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was great. So um, with, I had another question, and I think I think staring at Jenny made me, made me forget. Cause it's hard to stay focused when there's a baby in there's, the room. There's so much activity, and we're, we're <laughs> discovering so many things about this room. This is it. <laughs> Um, so the, the time that we've had here at the SEI conference, um, this is probably a question that I'm going to ask everybody that I interview. What do you think the, the benefit, the, the most interesting or most fascinating thing about SEI conferences are? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, well, I mean, the obvious benefits are, you know, hearing new works and meeting new people and seeing, you know, what everybody else is doing in different areas of the country, and then also obviously kind of reconnecting with people that you've met before and hearing the new things that people are up to. Um, so the most fascinating thing, that's a good uh, adjective to use for this. <laughs> adjective, uh, I like yes, getting that like in that. <laughs> um, uh, Well, actually, one thing that's been really nice at this conference are these uh, Meet the Composer sessions that we've been, that they've been doing here. I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, yeah so... Um, 
this is something that uh, our our host has put on these Meet the Composer sessions where he just invited all the participating composers to do like a little quick 10-minute presentation. And uh, so that's been really nice because it's uh, just a quick snapshot of people to be able to share, you know, a piece that wasn't performed or a project that they've been working on. Uh, so that's been really cool just to kind of get a sense of um, projects that people are working on. Um, there was a really great presentation about bringing composition into elementary schools. Um, yeah, Brittany Green. Yeah, Brittany Green, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I really enjoyed that presentation and uh, hope to kind of follow up with her. So I think those have been great to just kind of generate more collaboration and more um, discussion between all of us in, in different parts of the country about um, what's going on and what we can do and work together to uh, keep writing and keep getting stuff out there. Yeah, and not only, you know, keep... Oh, we're going to make it. We're gonna... Oh, my daughter is climbing up and down a little step here. Success. Here we oh, we're going to master stairs. <laughs> it's going to be... Oh, yeah. oh this is a, this is a new thing. It. Yeah. Oh, man. I think there's only one step. We're there on the move. Goes. There she goes. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it's not just the idea of, of you know, having our own works performed, but the, the synergy of being able to kind of meet and interact with other creatives and mm-hmm. to think about what they're doing and engage with their projects. I mean, we see all of these posts on social media and maybe read about them in the newsletter or, mm-hmm. or things that are coming up. But I think it's so much different to actually interact and talk with somebody and to have them... To, to kind of feel the visceral excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, she, Jenny's, Jenny's all by... Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, the the excitement that they have for what it is that they're doing, I think, is mm-hmm. infectious. And Absolutely, so it's, it's yeah. Nice. And it's I think, sparks uh, ideas, you know, between... Like, you see someone else's presentation, you're like, ooh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I yeah. have an idea about how I could apply something similar in, you know, in my neck of the woods or whatever, so... That's so much fun. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Good roll. How are you? Oh, you're okay. You're okay. We just took a little tumble there for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> and there was absolutely, there was barely any crying there, Jenny. You are, you are a trooper. Well, this piece, uh, She Persisted, I know you've talked with uh, Rob Deemer mm-hmm. on the Lexical Tones podcast before, but maybe as a brief recap, um, what is the, the, the piece in a nutshell? Uh, the piece in a nutshell is, well, the title, She Persisted, comes from a quote um, uh, from a, a political issue a few years ago with Elizabeth Warren when... Um, Jeff Sessions was uh, being nominated. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was protesting his nomination by reading a letter that Coretta Scott King wrote in protest of uh, his appointment uh, years earlier. And uh, she was basically kicked off the Senate floor uh, for reading this letter. And uh, Mitch McConnell afterwards said, she was warned, she was given an explanation, and nevertheless she persisted, and Elizabeth Warren turned that around into kind of a battle cry. Uh, a really think, effective one, I think. Yes, yeah. and I think now that'll probably be her campaign platform now that she's announced that she's running for president. So anyway, I, th- I just I liked the, um, the wording of that and wanted to write a piece in response to all of the political craziness that's been going, that had been going on that year uh, after the 2016 election. Um, so I... That was the basis of the piece, and I also wanted to kind of sneak in an homage to a female composer in there, so there's a middle section that's kind of modeled after um, Ruth Crawford Seeger's Piano Study and Mixed Accents. Um, yeah, so that's the piece in a nutshell. <laughs> so I think what I want to do is I want to uh, get a, a brief kind of snapshot of the, the piece. Do you have a favorite part? A favorite part of the yeah, piece? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were to, if we, I know this is so hard for so many composers. <laughs> <laughs> um... Jenny has a favorite part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the the part in the middle, I mean, I, th- I think the the kind of homage to Ruth Crawford Seeger is fairly clear that the, the texture kind of changes to this fast, monophonic, mm-hmm. kind of jagged yeah. melody um, before it goes back to um, this kind of repeated high gesture that I use as the kind of persistent gesture. So... Uh, I guess that contrast is something that I, I like. So you enjoy that? If you're listening for the Ruth Crawford Seeger oh, quote, man. it's that, that monophonic uh, kind of fast, jagged piece part in the middle. So, And Nykirk, thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew Martin-Smith. Great to talk to you. And Jenny, thank you. Say, what? Say hi, Jenny. Hi. She's going to be quiet for the <laughs> reporter. You can this hear is her your breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool.
Described as a new music ninja by the Hartford Advocate, Jessica Rudman is a composer, theorist, and teacher based in Connecticut. Jessica composes music that unifies extended techniques with clear melodic development and narrative structures to create a unique and personal emotional expression. She believes that the ability to reach one's audience and elicit an emotional response is of extreme importance in our current social, economic, and political environment. Now, because who knows, who knows <laughs> Jessica, some, who knows what we're going to use from this? Absolutely. Um, so, so I'll start off by saying I'm I'm with Jessica Rudman here at uh, the SCI National Conference. This is 2019. Holy crap! 2019 National Conference, <laughs> and it's in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, at the University of New Mexico. And uh, so, I, I'd like to talk uh, just a little bit about your string quartet that the Arditi Quartet performed. I mean, that you, you got a headliner performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So I do want to talk about that a little bit, um, but I also kind of want to talk maybe more about your your talk that you gave, okay. your 10-minute talk. <laughs> um, uh, so. Which had very little talking. <laughs> Well, and, and that's the, I was I was fascinated by what you what you had there. But let's let's start off with the quartet. So so if you would regale, what is the title of this piece? So the piece is called "Half Turn to Go Yet Turning Stay." Okay, so yeah, for those who didn't who didn't read the program notes because right, who weren't here, what, what is this about? It's um it's a line from a Chris, Christina Rossetti poem. Um, you know where she's basically she's talking about death. Um, mm-hmm. But there is one line where she sort of talks about, you know, her lover grabbing her hand and she half turns to go, but turns and ends up staying. Ends up staying. <laughs> and so I just, I was really struck by that one image within this poem that's, you know, fairly uh, dark. <laughs> and so does the... Does the... That image and the the darkness of the overall poem does that contribute to the kind of soundscape that that you utilize in this piece? If I'm allowed to call it a soundscape, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, the title came after. Oh, like so many of like mine. So, yeah, no, yeah, like no, no, so yeah. many. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I I finished the piece and I needed to turn it in, and so mm-hmm. I needed a title, and so I was I, I tend to go to poetry when I need a title, and so I was looking through, and and that seemed to. Um, match the the mood of the piece mm-hmm. at the time oh oh i'm this not is... i'm not so sure how much it does now in retrospect that's fascinating but... oh this is so fascinating because <laughs> I, I talk i talk to my students about this a lot mm-hmm. this idea of of titling and and titles are very important i, mm-hmm. I will grant you that um because in some ways they're um a, a bridge to, mm-hmm. to like, it, it helps window or frame your piece mm-hmm. for the audience and and you can kind of guide their perception yes and i and i think it does frame the piece in in a very specific way and i and i kind of like that since it you know i mean there are melodic gestures and and rhythmic yes, grooves thank you for but, those. <laughs> but it but it is a fairly textural piece um particularly compared to uh my my more recent music mm-hmm. um so so i like how it sort of gives a a, a concrete sort of story to it mm-hmm. um although i think the piece could easily be titled like a ton of other things <laughs> yeah and and it's it's so when when i talk to my students about this i talk about you know some some composers really need a title first they have, they, they have the title has to be the thing that drives how they approach the compositional process and other people they need the process. They need they need the compositional germ or the the technique or the, something that gets them excited about putting pen to paper and or pencil 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 students yeah. um, to paper in this particular context. And then after the piece is done, they have a better. They kind of step back and mm-hmm. and take it all in and say, okay, what's the best way to frame that? Like yeah. you would, like a painter would. Like what is the best frame for this mm-hmm. painting? So that's fascinating. Yeah, for this one, the the sort of germinating idea was actually the opening gesture. Mm-hmm. I I remember that I I was riding on the subway back and forth when I was a, a grad student in New York City. I had a fairly long subway ride because I lived pretty far out in Brooklyn. For one reason or another, <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all we can all guess what the reason was. Um, and. Uh, I remember that I like sketched out the opening idea when I was coming back on the subway one day, and um, that kind of led to the rest of the piece. 
that's so that's so fascinating and it, that uh so many composers like do these things during commutes mm-hmm. like, i mean like elliot carter's harmony book i think was almost entirely generated like on a, on a train ride like <laughs> like uh, to and from various destinations and things so that's that's really awesome um, so, so I might, uh, if you're okay with it, I might play like a fragment from the, the Ooh, quartet. Sure. Mm-hmm. What, what might be your favorite part of that? Oh. Of that, I know I did this to Annie too earlier. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, I really like the the cello solo that's towards the beginning. Right. Oh, I was hoping um, you'd I just secretly. And, yeah, and then the the place uh, sort of I don't know maybe two thirds or so of the way through where the whole quartet gets into this sort of like clear rhythmic groove mm. it's not very long but it's like no, you yeah know. no i might i might actually if you with your permission i might send you some from some things that, sure, that, sure. That, or maybe you can send me some things some fragments that you kind of cut up that we can kind of splice in yeah do, yeah if you can send me an i email. will totally will, <laughs> i'm not going to remember this conversation absolutely i will send you an email um but i was really hoping you said something about that cello solo in mm-hmm. the beginning because it's you know the thing that i liked most about your piece was it's obviously spectral in nature in some ways in the textures that are being used, but the texture is not the only thing that's being explored. And you kind of establish this environment that, that these little, these little motivic things, uh, these little melodic phrases and, and the cello solo, it's not, those are, these melodies aren't sweeping romantic 19th century gestures. They're just like these little things that rear up out of the texture and then are subsumed back in. I just think that they're really nice signposts. Mm-hmm through the piece. And I think it's really successful that way. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we have to talk about this next thing okay, though. Cause, okay. <laughs> cause in your, in your 10 minutes that you had to present on, mm-hmm. uh, for your composer talk, your meet the composer kind of talk, um, you presented on some of your, your reaction pieces. So they your kind of protest, uh, uh, music a little bit, right. That you're, that, the, the operas, um, yeah. I mean, I just presented about the one uh-huh, opera, the trigger, uh-huh. which is like a short monodrama. And this particular, uh, opera is, uh, less than 15 minutes long, right? Yeah. The... It's, um, it's about 12 ish minutes long. There's, um, I didn't play the beginning for you in the talk because there wasn't enough time. Um, hmm. But there's sort of um, some speaking at the beginning and then there's a recitative. And depending on how long someone takes with getting on stage and doing the speaking mm-hmm. part um, and how long it takes them to get off stage because the ending is um, left a little open in terms of the stage direction, hmm. um, that can expand or contract it a little bit. Gotcha. Um, the, you, you've mentioned the idea of kind of the, some open-ended stage direction at the end. H- how much of the stage direction is yours? Cause I know the libretto is yours, mm-hmm. right? So libretto and music is yours, but, uh, but what are the other things that you're... Yeah, the, um, the libretto is mine. Um, and in terms of stage direction, the opening, um, The opening is the main character essentially reading news headlines, and that's left really open. I put a few news headlines in, which which were the ones we used in the premiere performance, but it's open so that people can use whatever current news headlines there are. So it's it's usually different each performance. Mm. Um, And uh, some people have done it reading an actual newspaper, Hmm. which is a little harder to find these days. Um, Some people have... I love 21st century. (laughs) Yeah. Some people have done it reading off their phone. Mm. Um, Some people, uh, like in the video you saw, she's reading out of a magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, The the setting and the the costume and the age of the character, that's all left open. Hmm. Um, so the video you saw, the director, um, Christy Shambrelli, she uh, was really interested in this idea of what happens if someone is triggered in a public space. Yeah. So the character walks up to a bus stop and starts reading this news magazine mm-hmm. um, and then has this whole journey. And then at the end, you hear the bus pulls up. Yeah. And and she's like, oh, wait, what am I doing? And I'm like, I got to get on the bus. I got and... <laughs> Right. And, and kind of going back to your, it's like your normal mm-hmm. quote unquote day. Mm-hmm. And, and how does that work after this this moment that has pulled you out of? Yeah. So that that I really liked. And that was all, all Christy's idea. And I thought that was beautiful. Um, the actual uh, stage directions in the score for the ending say that 
this singer should be cut off by a phone ringing or a doorbell or some, mm-hmm. other, some other kind of daily thing. Uh-huh. But I, I think I had envisioned it more in like a home setting rather oh, than a public setting. Fascinating. Um, and uh, so we've we've done it with phone ringing and huh. um, uh, there was one performance that got a little more abstract where they had. Um, the recording of Hillary Clinton's concession speech oh, cut wow. off the singer. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a video of that up on YouTube. Um, it was a Hartford Opera Theater uh, performance um, the first time they did it uh, in November 2017. Mm. Um, and uh, and that was, uh, no, 2016. It must have been, yeah, 2016, because it was right after the election. Okay. Um, so it, it was like literally like a week after the election. So it was it was very timely and very powerful, um, and they did it that way a couple times. Um, but the further out it got from the election, it you know it, it wasn't as timely, and it also had the the sort of negative that it made it more about Hillary Clinton than about oh, the actual than about the actual plot. topic of the yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating. Oh my. Um, the, I, I was, I'm based on all of the things that we've just talked about. My next question is kind of how many times has this been performed, this monodrama? Cause this seems to have some life it, to it. It, it does. Um, because obviously it's very relevant to a lot of things going on in mm-hmm. society today. Um, un- unfortunately so. Um, I hope someday we will get to the point where it is <laughs> more of like a historical anomaly. Yeah, but this is a time capsule. Yeah, instead yeah, of just being, yeah. That yeah. I'm hoping that it will become very dated at some point, mm-hmm. but right now it is not. Um, uh, you know, I would have to go back and look to see how many times it's been done. Uh, I think about ten hmm. um, by um, maybe five or so different singers. Um, the singer in the video that you saw, um, Jennifer uh, Segro, um, she's done it a number of times. She's really hmm. um, lived with the piece, and uh, she's going to be performing it uh, out in the UK in May. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, Is that going to be the first performance across the pond? Of- it, it will be the first performance in Europe. Um, the premiere was in Canada, so okay. it's... Um, it has an international it has life an already. International life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's phenomenal, though, because uh, we we talk about composers um, being in a unique position of having their music performed more than once, mm-hmm. you know, past the premiere. Yeah. But, but there's also that extra component of does it get performed past the premiere and by multiple artists? Mm-hmm. And and the thing that's exciting about that are the things you've articulated already. The idea that it, it, the piece becomes something else each time it's performed Mm -hmm. and that can be quite magical I think yeah it's been really interesting because sometimes it's been performed staged and sometimes it's been done unstaged Mm, like a concert Um, version like a concert version um which is also powerful but in a slightly different way um and it's been excerpted um so people might do like just the third section Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. um so, uh, so it's been pretty flexible that way, which has help, helped with getting people to be able to do it. Hmm. If we if we had to hear an excerpt from this, which excerpt do you think is is it the one that you presented on? Uh, is it that that longer kind of section of things after the beginning, after the recitative? Or um, I I think if you were going to listen to an excerpt, I would probably go with the the third section, which is sort of um, the first section, which I didn't play, was the recitative. Mm-hmm. The second section is that um, sort of patter song where mm-hmm. she's taking on the persona of the abuser, mm-hmm. and then the third section is the the aria where so she's sort of reflecting on. So this is kind of the internal emotional kind of picture of what this character is now feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's sort of the most intimate part I think of the of the opera and I think is it your favorite part is it or is it something that you particularly gravitate towards as as the composer um dangerous question I know <laughs> <laughs> yes um yes I think it is my favorite part um I I like the the lyrical writing in it and it's sort of like the again the most personal sort of emotional expression there um, I do also really like the second part because it's like really rhythmic <laughs> and angry. Um, it, it, was a, it was a lot of fun to see yeah. when when the when you played the video for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that the third part is sort of like 
even if you don't hear or see any of the other parts, you can still get the gist of it mm. from that third part. Mm. Which is probably why this piece can can survive is not quite the right word, but how it exists in different guises or different mm. forms because it can be kind of extracted in these different ways. Yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, Jessica Rudman, thank you so much for your time. You are welcome. Excerpts from Jessica Rudman's mama drama Trigger can be viewed at her website, jessicarudman.com. That's www.jessicarudman.com. We'll now listen to an excerpt of the Arditi Quartet's performance of Half Turn to Go, Yet Turning Stay. Jamie Lee Sampson is a composer, bassoonist, author, teacher, and entrepreneur based in western New York. She currently teaches music composition, theory, and entrepreneurship in the School of Music at the State University of New York at Fredonia. She is the co-owner of the publishing entity Adjective New Music. Sampson has written works across multiple genres of music, including opera, art song, instrumental and vocal chamber works, large ensemble compositions, and electroacoustic music. Hello, wife. Hi. That's a weird way to start. <laughs> well, I mean, 
admittedly, we are recording this a few days after the conference. I mean, you had a great idea. You, I mean, was it my idea? It was your idea. I'm pretty, well, it was your idea for the title of what we were going to call it. Yeah, you wanted to record at JFK after our red eye. Correct. And I thought we could call it the Red Eye Report, and that would have been a terrible idea. <laughs> no, the title was a great idea. No, no recording would have been a terrible idea. I was really angry at four guys who probably were all named Chad. Um, <laughs> we're talking loudly about missing their kids' birth- one of their kids' birthdays to go on a golf trip, and they woke me up by throwing a bag on the table I was sleeping on. I was not in a state to speak to all of you nicely. Oh, so yes. Now, now, to that to that point of of why we're here. So you um you just recently well we we just recently got back from the Society of Composers National Conference that was at uh, the University of New Mexico, right? Yeah. And um we had listened to a bunch of pieces, but the piece of yours that was featured on the program was Anyone Lived, correct? Correct. So Anyone Lived is for a uh, uh, woodwind trio. Yep. So this is oboe, clarinet, and bassoon. It is. Okay, so could you uh, unpack for us, if I'm, if I'm using a term my students are probably you sick to death You should unpack. Your suitcase is probably still full. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that in. I know. Um, um, the, uh, so what is this piece Anyone Lived about? Oh, okay. So about a decade ago... I found... Seriously? Or, or more, actually. So the poem, Anyone Lived in a Pretty How Town by E.E. E. Cummings was part of the poetry unit at my high school. And in undergrad, I thought it would be fantastic to set it to music, which is correct because it's spunky and quirky and the meter changes are fantastic and uh, the mood changes are huge. And once you know the secret that anyone is a man and he falls in love with no one who is a woman, then all of these things that look really sad, like no one stooped to kiss his grave, become really, like, sad, yes, still, but romantic as well because it's a married couple. So I had this idea to set it. I think my first idea was for choir, and that would have been a pile of mud. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just prosody-wise, it wouldn't have set clearly. And then I discovered that E.E. Cummings and T.S. Eliot, two of my favorite poets, are not ones that I should set to music because no. copyright their their estates are just really they've got a stronghold on the copyright and they don't like letting composers set them. So there's a few composers who have been able to do it accidentally, as in they already said it, they sent it to the estate and said, oopsie, I'm going to publish, why don't you let me? <laughs> Which is not our preferred course of yeah, action. Yeah, that's not the recommended course of action. Yeah. I think this is a good point for a, a what is it called? <laughs> like, a warning, don't do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, so my idea for like the better part of 10 years was that I was going to make this into a piano solo, just an epic, you know, 15 minute piano solo, but I really didn't have anyone to write it for. So it was on my composition wish list for a long, long time. And then uh, a competition popped up, and I actually am glad we're bringing this up because I know that Rob McClure is a huge, he's a huge don't write anything for a competition person, but... (laughs) Sorry, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) You and I play in a trio with... Our very good friend Sipka, and so this opportunity came up, I was asked to write something for this competition, and I decided, you know what, what the heck, I've been wanting to write a piece for this ensemble for a while, why don't I go ahead and do it, and if it doesn't win the competition, then I still have a premiere that I can get done. Um, Funny thing is, I wrote the piece, it did not win the competition, no biggie, and then the three of us haven't played it yet. Right. <laughs> so yep. it was finished like two and a half years ago. Uh, a really fantastic group called Ritual Action um, premiered it out in Chicago in November of 2017. And it's been getting, you know, slow but steady. Some traction. Pro- yeah, traction, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that in a couple of weeks when we get together with Sipka, we'll at least read some parts of it. Sweet. <laughs> I'm, 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 the clarinet part's really hard. Oh, the bassoon part's really hard, too. But there are no extended techniques, which is weird for me. It is weird for you. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it is, it's also weird for you in that it's quite notey. There's, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of notes. There is. It, it moves. Um, 
I was experiment. I was experimenting with some new harmonics stuff right about that time. But I also had this um, idea that I would construct some scales. Uh, I think the minor second, major third scale is what the entire canon is all about. At the end of the at the end of the piece, no, it's um, kind of like a Sonaka Civ sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, kind okay. of. Right. Um, I just wanted to see what it would sound like within the range of the three instruments, and it sounded pretty cool. So I did it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think it does. It uh, all, all joking and or not joking, sheer terror aside, <laughs> the, the parts are difficult. It does. There, there are aspects of it that do sound quite cool, and I thought the uh, the UNM. Uh, graduate, well, part of the wind quintet, right? Part yeah. of the graduate student uh, uh, wind quintet. So the trio of them yeah. performed it, and I thought they performed it quite well in that art gallery. Oh, they did. They did great. And I loved that we were part of the art gallery because as much as I love going to concert after concert in the same hall, it's really nice to break it up with something. And I felt I was lucky that I got to do it on, on the art museum portion of it. Yeah. It, it was, was standing it was... room only for for. Mostly that reason we're in a different <laughs> venue, but it was it felt good to have that kind of crowd. <laughs> and uh, I mean, this this maybe relates to the last question that I've been asking everybody. The the um, what are the what are the benefits that you see of of being part of SCI, or or maybe more specifically, what, what do you think was the best aspect of of the conference? Ooh, I know that's I, like a multifold I, question. I there. know, and it's so loaded. Um, I mean, I got to be honest. Sure. These, these, I, I, lo- I like being an SCI for a number of reasons. Um, I feel like it's a great community, but we have kind of a community within a community there as well, mm-hmm. and part of that is a growing number of female composers. Ah, and yes. And this conference was a marked difference from the last time I went. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> We're keeping that in. <clears throat> that are not kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I went in 2014, right after I had published my book, to give a lecture on bassoon multiphonics, and Annie Nykirk was there then, mm. and she is, without doubt, one of my very closest friends. And this time, you know, we she she was also on it. We went back. She now has a one-year-old daughter who came with us. And, yeah, she's um, going to be featured prominently in this particular oh, episode. Oh, great. I think. Yeah. Fantastic. So so being there with her under two really different circumstances, just having gotten out of grad school and now, you know, we're, we're young professionals. She has a child. Both of our husbands came as support spouses rather than, rather than you who came. You know, yeah, I didn't have anything on You the were programmed. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's weird and different. It's not the typical for many conferences that involving a lot of composers. So, uh, so that was kind of my, my uh, favorite part beyond just getting to see everybody again meet new people um and and uh and go see all the fantastic music. Did I answer all of your questions? Yeah, no, you did. I think that <laughs> no. to, to to put a finer point on it, the, the I think the representation at this conference was significantly better. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, there are a whole host of factors that go into that in yeah. terms of, because, you know, there's, there's hosting a conference is no small feat. No, it's um, amazing. But they, I think they truly, yeah. at, at the uh, University of uh, New Mexico, their music department did a tremendous job kind of pulling together yeah. and showing, showcasing not only, you know, the talents that they have at the school, but making sure that the showcase was diverse. Um, which was really lovely to see. There's always space for improvement, but that also comes into how we're recruiting membership for SCI and and who gets to, who applies for the conferences. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and and you know we we can always do ten percent better. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Ten percent. Ten percent more. Almost there. <laughs> but but it it was a favorite thing of this year, and it it is it is kind of comfort to go to these spaces where female composers are not, you know, ooh, here's the one we brought in this year. <laughs> we but we've programmed 14 of her pieces. It's okay. It's okay. It's I mean, okay. It's like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> so so this is the first time anyone lived has been featured on this podcast, correct? I'm pretty I sure. I think so. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure. Do you do you mind us listening to the whole thing? Is Not that, at all. Um, so and... this is going to be a recording of a trio from... Ooh. Are they still technically from Chicago? They've, they've no, all actually, kind of, right? this isn't that recording. Oh, never mind. Um, this is a recording of... Doctoral students at University of North Texas. Oh, excellent. Yes, two are BG alumni, 
and Jonathan Thompson is the oboist. Alex Moe is the bassoonist, and Aaron Cameron is the clarinetist. That's who we're going to be listening to. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to listening. Awesome. All right, thank you, Jamie. You're welcome. Uh, time to go unpack. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>